Comics Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan. And DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show episode 444. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Well, hello there, Noah. Good to see you in studio. Yeah, it's kind of cool that you're actually right there. Well, coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, not only is Noah in studio for a special event, but uh, we're going to do something that we've gotten a lot of flack for on this show. It's something we don't normally do. Sometimes a project for this show involves a certain level of hardware hacking, some modifications, some changes, some tweaks, and we sometimes skip that so we can talk more about the Linuxy side of things. This week, we're going to show you some hardware modifications we had to make to make my new Linux-powered NAS work in the Lady Jupes. Now, this is sort of an interesting project because it started out one thing and went down a totally different path, and we'll share all of it with you coming up later in this week's show. But Noah, you know, before we get to all of that, we will talk about the news. Microsoft's making some news this week. I'll be curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. We'll talk about the $5 tool that breaks passwords. And then there was a huge update about ButterFS and the RAID 5.6 issue that finally got fixed. And then it turned out it's not fixed. We'll tell you what's actually going on. And we've got feedback in a little bit, and I'm looking forward to that. But before all that, Noah, do you know what we got? We got the picks. Get the picks. We got the picks. And this one's a little creepy. Our Runs Linux pick this week is really something. Uh, This was sent in by a listener, which is totally cool. I love it when we get the submissions coming in. It came in from Craig. He says, I was watching a documentary over here. It's forked from a new TV series. It's called Human, which follows a world where synthetic humans are just a regular part of life. Anyway, the show made a documentary to see how far off we are in actually creating Synthetic humans, and they did a whole series. It's a 46-minute video, which we'll have linked in the show notes, on how to build a human. And while he was watching this documentary, it appears that these artificial humans, and I believe it's the one on the right, right? Uh, I, I think it's the one on, the, or do you think it's the one on the left? I don't know. I'm, which yeah, one? yeah, the one on the right, because she's like, she's got that like blank. I'm a robot stare. Going yeah, on. yeah, yeah. But they did a good job, right? They did a really good job, and the. As you guessed it, computers controlling the robot run Linux. And look at that. It's even like a real-time log of the mm-hmm. robots of the robot's thoughts. Well, I think that so I think that's the conversion uh, to speech, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's spitting it out or whatever and it's running on Ubuntu proper. So we so we can tell a couple of things about that actually. So one is that the robot is not connected via Wi-Fi, or at least the computer isn't. Um, also, note a couple of interesting things about the computer controlling the robot here. Uh, first of all, it's on an Ubuntu Unity desktop. Mm-hmm. So Second no of all, they have quite a few unread Thunderbird, Thunderbird emails. <laughs> you see that right there? That's interesting. Also running Chrome. And they have uh, Ubuntu updates they need to install. And they also need to make that terminal transparent. Would look way better. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so, yeah, that's a pretty cool catch, Craig. Thanks for sending that in there. And it's re- this shot's really interesting, the full-screen terminal. Also, the robot's computer apparently has Firefox and Audacity installed and VLC, but those are all tucked away in the uh, side of the bar where it like starts stacking things up. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's kind of cool to read the log output of an artificial robot. I love it. Controlled by Linux. I've always said when the robots do finally take over, they'll be Linux-powered. Well, hey, Noah, how you doing? I'm doing great. What the heck are you doing here in studio? Well, turns out we have uh, a lot of work to get done and a lot of projects to do, and they're easier to do in studio. 
And let's be fair, uh, those uh, BSD guys talked me into coming down and visiting them, and you said, well, you go down there, you do the BSD thing, and then I'll come sit in for some of the shows. We don't talk about the BSD thing on the Linux. This is a Linux no, show. Yeah, no, it's different. No, we don't. We yeah. don't talk about that. Although I will have some videos coming out the next week, so not the week that you're watching this, not mm -hmm. Thanksgiving week, but the week following Thanksgiving um, do you think I should release them starting Monday or Sunday? Monday. Monday? Monday, yeah, okay. on, on the weekday. And they are they are riveting. It's one of those videos you have to watch every one in order, and you got to make sure you watch the last one before you get to the next one. That's true. So I'm going to release like six or seven videos, one a week, uh, and we're going to start— One, one uh, a day. One a day, yes. yeah. Oh, boy, yeah, thanks. Seven videos, I hope, is the total, mm -hmm. and we'll do one a day. On my personal YouTube channel, because they're not all technical, they're, it is about the trip to Meet BSD. It's about being at Meet BSD and being in California, doing meetups with last audience members mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So today is the 20th, and I'll start releasing them on the 28th, I think is how it works out. So it'll be the Monday after uh, Thanksgiving weekend, Black Friday weekend here in the U.S. Oh. So it's going to be on my. It's going to be on a different YouTube channel than you're used to. So you'll find a link in uh, the show notes. Mm -hmm. I think it's just like YouTube.com/slash. No, don't say that because it might change by the time the end of this episode. Oh, that's true. Because we're trying to. Once I get a hundred subs on my personal channel, uh, I get to change the URL, which is mm -hmm. kind of a cool. I think that's what yeah. apparently that's the. the mm -hmm. So, anyways, I'll be publishing them there, and I think they're some of the best work I've ever done. I think. I feel like it's, it's my best work. I'll tell you what. I I I. Uh, I will definitely tell you that I think it is the most interesting work you've ever done from the perspective of if somebody wants to follow, get to know you personally better rather than just your opinion on tech. And if you're interested in the network a little bit and want to see stuff behind the yeah, scenes. Yeah, yeah, behind the scenes. Kind yeah, of yeah. It's, it's sort of like that's why it's a companion channel to the main Jupiter Broadcasting mm -hmm. channel on YouTube. And that's why it's YouTube videos because they're just extremely visually heavy. There's, mm -hmm. there's, They would not work in an audio format at all. That's why they're not a main thing. They're just something I've published while I was on the road. I was editing and composing them, and I'm going to share them with you guys. But I think they turned out incredible. And uh, so I will publish them starting next week on the 28th. I think that works out. And uh, – you can find the link in the show notes. And if I do get to change the URL, I'll try to update the link in the show notes too. So there you go. And if you're in the chat room, we're passing it around right now. Mm -hmm. I guess for now, it's youtube.com slash chi, C, C, C slash Chris Fisher. I don't know if you have to put the slash C in there or not. Mm. Oh, yeah. But anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about Linux, Linux and we're here to talk about our picks. And uh, so that's why Noah's in studio. That's that why you're is. here. So it worked out. We you stayed long enough so we could do another episode in mm -hmm. person, which we always like doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's gonna be uh, I think it's gonna be a good show. I like I like where we're going with this. I like what's coming up. Mm -hmm. And I want to take a moment and I want to thank DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com, our first sponsor on the show this week. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, guys. You use all that as one word. You squish it together like you're slurring it, and you'll get a ten dollar credit over DigitalOcean. The simple way to spin up a Linux box on demand on their crazy great SSD powered infrastructure, forty gigabit e connections to the hypervisors, data centers all over the world. One of the best interfaces ever created for managing this, and a really great API to back it up. DigitalOcean.com. Here's the thing. One word. You create an account, then you go in there and you apply it to your balance. You get ten dollars. I mention that again because their pricing structure is bananas. Beep, beep, bananas. You go hourly or monthly. You can get two gigs of RAM, a two-core processor, 40 gigabytes of SSD, and three terabytes of transfer for three cents an hour. Three cents an hour. You can also pay monthly if you'd like. You can go with uh, very high droplet uh, memory, so you can go up to 220 plus gigs of RAM. They have block storage, which you can attach 
up to 16 terabytes, all SSD, distributed around their data centers and protected. It's brilliant. Plus, they've got all the great distros you'd want to choose to run. They can even run FreeBSD, and they have fantastic frickin' documentation. I love using DigitalOcean when I just want to try out an open source project or experiment with something. And so many times when I put something in production for myself, or my family or friends, DigitalOcean, a Minecraft server for my kid, a Quasal server for myself, SyncThing, Ambi, DigitalOcean.com, OpenVPN, and they got tons of great documentation too. And even for work, when we live stream, all of it streams through DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com, use our promo code, here's the thing, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Here's the thing, Noah, can you believe we, they gave that to us? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's so that's cool. Great. That's so cool. Here's the thing. Uh, all right, so let's talk. Trolling about... note has turned into a promo code. And you know what's funny is the here's the thing meme. We just kind of blew. We just burned right through it. Now we mm -hmm. don't use it as much, and so it lives on I in that promo it. code. Yeah, of course you do. So tell me about something else you've started using. All Ranger. Right. So have you ever been inside of the terminal and you are going to and you, you like the first thing is you move into a directory cd downloads ls. And then, oh, that's the directory I'm working in. CD new project, LS. And like, it's just, you're constantly like, it's like oh, yeah, LS man. almost like the refresh. Like you got to see what's in there. We were talking about on Linux Unplugged recently. It is the nerd or geek um when you're sitting at the terminal and you're not, um, you just yeah, do LS. Exactly. Get your, get your, get your current working uh, PWD, like list. PWD, LS, and, PWD, LS, yeah. yeah. And so, and then you got to go move things around. You're, you're moving a couple files. So you envy, well, did it, did it move all that stuff? Did I get the syntax right? Did it move the directory or how, do, whatever. What Ranger is, is a CLI-based file manager. So you can manage your files from the terminal. Move files around, copy files around, delete files, organize files, rename files, whatever. And you can do all of that inside of your terminal. Oh, that could be nice for like SSHing into my box that has my media files on it. Right. Or well, actually what I was going to use it for is... Uh, I have, we have a, a literally a file server, like an FTP server. And typically when I want to organize stuff, I have to mount the share and then go in there and move things around because trying to do that from the CLI is just a pain. This would actually enable me to do that right from the command line. This is nice. And it uses uh, VI key binding. So if you're familiar with those, you're ready to go. Mm -hmm. It's got a, a nice minimal curses interface. So it's not like it's, it's not like it's a full screen curses app. It still feels like you're on your straight command line, but right. with extra menu options and ways to move around uh, the data. It's pretty cool. Send them to us by Tux T. Hey, thanks, Tux T, for submitting that to the show. Mm -hmm. So that's Ranger, and you can find it at ranger.nongnu.org. <laughs> that's uh, I didn't notice that part until I just said it on air. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. It actually is the URL. Yeah, okay. but it's all open source, so it's probably just not GNU. Open source is not the same as GNU. Yeah, I think what you're referring to as Linux is actually GNU slash yeah. uh, Linux. Right. And uh, I've actually got my buddy here who could tell you all about it. If oh, you, could he? Yeah. What happens to you What's is that? not sufficiently important to justify the wrong you're doing. Oh, okay. Well, should we just move on? Who knows? Yeah, I think we'll move on. All right, so this next one is one that I swear to God, hand on heart, said, Noah, shut up. We've go, done this before. Go search the website. I will not do this app pick, sir. We cannot repeat an app pick. I think we just did this one a couple of weeks ago, right? So, one, it's not an app pick. Spotlights. Even if we oh, did, it wouldn't uh, be the end of the world. But Getting me on a technicality. But here. anyway, we haven't done this before. It has not been covered on last. And it is SSH Tunnel. And so, basically, if you're not familiar with what, I'd say it's SS Huddle. SS Huddle? I'm just kidding, what? dude. <laughs> Although that's how it looks. It is SSH Huddle. Yeah. S, S Shuttle. Uh, whatever. Here's the important part. 
The important part is setting up a VPN is a PETA. And so if you have a bunch of, if you have routers, uh, like the Microtex that we use, they have a, a you know a, a built-in quick setup for setting up a VPN. If you don't have that though, you got to configure everything by hand. That can be a pain. So there's a way to tunnel your SSH connection so that it's it effectively functions like a poor man's VPN. You have an yeah. encrypted connection to a network, and then you can yeah. load their local and, resources. And here's the nice thing about this is unlike OpenVPN, which you have to set up and get running, and you need administrative access to get it installed, this just requires SSH. So if you have a user account that can log in over SSH, you have what you need to get a, this essential VPN set up. Right. No special admin privileges required. Right. That's kind of cooking with gas when you're working on like a, a work system or something right like that. In the front right burner, man. Yeah, in the front right burner, of course. So uh, SSH UTL or Shuttle is a transparent proxy that is essentially like VPN. It works uh, over on Linux, FreeBSD, and Mac OS. You just need to have SSH. No like crazy stuff to set up. And that's kind of nice for a lot of us. And uh, you can get it from various different places. It's a, You can just do a pip install SSH U-T-T-L-E, if you would like, or it's also available in various uh, repos. So that's pretty cool, Noah. That's a good find. And I would I would, I would, would still put it out there to the audience to double check. that. How can we never have done this one before? This feels like not only is this a tool I use, but it feels like it's one we've discussed before as VPN alternatives. It's definitely one that we should have talked about before. Well, there's always that. Hey, one real quick before one real quick thing before we run. We're still uh, doing the free super stick, super key stickers, which you oh, got one. Yeah. Good, good man. Yeah, we're doing these for a little bit longer. And uh, if you want to grab one, just any any Linux Action Show sticker purchase at JupiterBroadcasting.com/stickers, as well as any other you want to get, will include any. If you get a last sticker, you get uh, I think you get one color one and one black and white one. I'm going to have to steal some of those before I leave. Totally, dude. Totally. Yeah, I got a couple of people I want to give some out to as well. So grab a couple. Just like maybe cut off like a strip. Yeah, so exactly. That was Very nice. So that's jupiterbroadcasting.com slash stickers. If you want to cover up your super key Windows key shame with the Linux Action Show, minimal logo. It's uh, Tux and the JB Rocket. There you go. There you go. All right, Noah, let's do the news. the news in this episode is brought to you by ting.com in fact lass.ting.com that's where you go to support the show and get $25 in service credit or off your first device depending now ting has got gsm and cdma networks i think both noah and i rock the gsm network prim- mm-hmm. primarily yeah mm-hmm. uh i do have a which is great for the road trip is i have a gsm MiFi. oh yeah and a cdma MiFi. sure i this is gonna blow your mind i have a gsm MiFi. Right there, bro. In the in the Lenovo? Right there. From Ting? Yeah. That's so all awesome. I got to do is go up here to my GNOME manager and go down to mobile broadband and hit connect. Oh, that is sweet. And then I am online. That's what's, that's So that thing has a built-in LTE modem. Yep. That is nice. Yeah. I think I remember you telling me that uh, when you reviewed it, and I was like, that's it's cool that you put a Ting SIM in there. Yeah. See, this was so nice because it's six bucks a month. And so when you have a device, you occasionally just want to have, I, I need to get access. And no, no other device you have to take out of your bag or nothing. Right. Oh, and it just works under Linux, too. Right. Oh, so this is what I'm saying. Six bucks a month, and you just pay for the data when you use it. So Noah, being an IT admin, support specialist, on-call contract guy, they call him up and say, hey, Noah, this is a problem. What's he going to say? Yeah, your business has to stay down for an extra 25 minutes while I drive to somewhere where I can get on Wi-Fi? Right. That's not going to work. Right. And the thing is, if I'm there, there's a 
reasonable to moderate chance the network isn't working or yes. I wouldn't be there in the first place. Oh, that makes so much sense. So the having that built in for external connectivity testing. Yeah, yeah man. That's, you know, for me, I just have, I have uh, individual MiFi's, but that would be really sweet. And it doesn't matter if you're using a phone, you're using mm -hmm. a data device, you just pay for what you use. Minutes, messages, and megabytes. That's what you pay. So go to last.ting.com and check them out. Also check out their blog, even if you're not ready to switch to Ting, because they just did a roundup of all of the new Roku OS features for 7.5. And I know this might not apply to a lot of you, but like Noah, he travels a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, but this next part's not going to apply to you. But there could be a few people in our audience. I could see them in this situation. Uh, you know, maybe you've invested a lot in Mac hardware, specific, specifically laptop hardware over the years. You've bought these MagSafe adapters. You know, those cool power adapters that just broke away when your kids come running through the room. Well, of course, Apple's abandoning that now with the new MacBook Pro. And uh, they're going to USB-C, probably for better. But it means now you've got all these old, incompatible Apple power adapters sitting around, and Ting has a solution for you. Have you seen this? No. This is Ting's solution. You can convert them into beer bottle openers. So look, Noah, the metal piece of the Mac power adapter grips the, the, uh, the lid of the uh, can perfectly. So you take off the, the power adapter, you take out the beer, and then you wedge it right in there. And look at this. Boom. Nails it. Now, sometimes you got to try a few times because it's not really meant for that. So just, just keep going at it because you're never going to use that power adapter ever again for anything. So just who cares if you break it? It's worthless now. Also works on coffee cups. Oh, yeah. Now, look, you can pour your beer in your coffee cup, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last.ting.com. That is, that is, that's so funny. They're totally just, they're fooling around. I think that's great. Last.ting.com. Support the show. Keep us on the air and get yourself a great discount off a device. Or if you're like me, it'll pay for more than your first month of service for Ting. Last.ting.com. Boy, are you super excited about this next news story or what? Microsoft Server, SQL Server for Linux is a real deal. Yes, everybody. Yes, it's so great. Hello, everybody. Yes. So I uh, I actually have been following a, a group chat that I'm in uh, with a lot of Linux guys, and they are freaking out over this. There's a guy that he's a, he's a Microsoft SQL developer, database developer, and he has been talking about how he would like to leverage the enterprise, you know, great features of Linux and the stability of Linux on the back end, um, but not have to give up all of his training and certification and infrastructure they have. Yeah, I know. I, I, the exact thing you're doing right now is exactly how I feel. I know this is a thing. And when I had to admins Windows SQL servers, I felt the same way. I wish I could I could have used a better file system. I wish I would have had the GNU tools. I, 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 wish, I wish I had all these things as well. I, I really do. Um, I just have a hard time getting excited about one of the most proprietary pieces of software in 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 my personal work experience. Yeah, you know, I I lived through a time where you paid an unbelievable amount of money per core for SQL Server, and right. and we had four and eight core servers, which is just unheard of back then. And it was it was it was so much consternation for the IT department that I have such a bad association with SQL Server. Yeah. It's hard for me to be excited, but then part of me connects with my my brethren that are still out in the field implementing these things and how I so much wish I could have put this on a Linux box back then. Mm -hmm. And if I could have gone back in time and told past Chris that you could install SQL Server on Linux, mm -hmm. it would have blown his mind because that was a Microsoft at the time where Linux was a cancer and Balmer was up on stage spitting at people that didn't that that, that, that didn't agree that Windows was the best thing ever. I mean mm -hmm. it was just such an aggressive time. 
So if from that regard, this is a huge story. Right. But do you really care? No, no, I'm not using, listen, I'm not using SQL Server if it's on Windows, on Linux, on whatever that thing you went to this week. I'm not using it, period. You know, I use Postgres. You know, I'll use MaraDB. I, I, I'll find something that, that works inside of Linux. And frankly, I wonder if this isn't a move on Microsoft's part to tr to attempt to, to stay relevant. As you have more and more people moving towards cloud-based services, more and more people moving towards VPS services, do they not have to move their product in line to be able to be installed on yeah. Ubuntu if they want to stay relevant. Yeah, bingo. That's exactly what it is. And uh, to that to that end, Microsoft wants to stay relevant, wants to stay making money. And so they're not half-assing this. This isn't SQL Server Lite. Right. Yeah, uh, they made that is, very clear. This is the real deal, including the tools around it and and a migration assistant for to relocate SQL workloads to Linux systems. Mm-hmm. They've developed, I want to say this, they've developed, a, Microsoft has developed a migration tool to move SQL workloads off of Windows to Linux systems. Right. It's huge. Uh, I think you have to use PowerShell, so there's that. But other than that, I mean, that's pretty cool. It's kind of like the <clears throat> Linux terminal, except not as powerful. So let's talk about uh, this story that everybody's probably thinking about as we talk about Microsoft SQL, and mm -hmm. that's also this week, Microsoft officially has joined the Linux Foundation. Um, the Linux and the value of this is negative. The Linux Foundation does a lot of things, uh, like paying some core developers, but as also managing uh, events around it. And Microsoft has joined as a platinum member. Now, if I remember correct, uh, platinum member. I don't know if we got the dollar. I did know what the dollar amount for platinum was at some point, but I'm not pulling it up right now. Uh, chat room, will you look at that for me? Will you find out what the dollar amount is for platinum? Because I'd like to know how much they're actually giving. Uh, also, not getting much attention, but also this week, Google joined the .NET Foundation. Isn't that kind of weird? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's $500,000. So it's a considerable chunk of change. And no, it's, it's not. It's a considerable, yeah. It, I, I think it's annual okay, to stay still, in. Still, it's not, it doesn't represent any significant uh, capital revenue, uh, you know, decrease from, from Microsoft. They, they will not feel... Uh, you know, they will not feel that amount going into, you know, they, they contributed. This is, I agree, that's, that's but this is still, form. this is still, if you, if you go back to the, the era I was just talking about, this mm -hmm. is $500,000 going to the Linux Foundation, their competition, quote unquote, now the platform they need to be relevant. Right. I still think $500,000 a year is a pretty big commitment. I know it's, I mean, for them, it's, it's pocket change. It's, it's I mean, interest don't get me wrong, you send me a half million dollar check, I'll cash it. But I just, I would really like to see Microsoft do something that proves they have some skin in the game where they- Isn't this it? Well, but I- if, Isn't uh, SQL like, Server let, it? Let me ask you something. If, if, if the Linux Foundation goes belly up tomorrow, if it's just this- Not going to happen well, at I know, all. But just cease to exist tomorrow. How would Microsoft be negatively affected? They, would they wouldn't. I, I think for the large part, I don't know if anybody would be negatively affected. Uh, so what, the other thing I wanted to say is, I think this is Apple would lose some business. Apple would. <laughs> Apple would be negatively. I would say that the uh, the uh, an awful lot of <clears throat> the, the the concern that this is embrace <coughs> and extend and extinguish. I think that's. I think that's been proven not really doable with Linux mm -hmm. because of the GPL. Right. I think I think if BSD, if people sometimes like to speculate, what happened if Linux never came around? Mm -hmm. This, you know, they even they even talked about this. They meet BSD a little bit, and uh, sure, of course the answer is BSD may have become a more predominant player in the overall market, mm -hmm. and it's also the the possibility that somebody like Microsoft could have come along and done a embrace and extinguish. Yeah, 
um, sort of like macOS has done to, to a degree. So I, I don't think this is that because of the GPL. I don't mm-hmm. think it's possible. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is Microsoft truly putting some skin in the game. I just think it's now just business as usual. I think maybe now we can all stop freaking out about it. I kind of am getting tired of all of us getting fake excited every time. Yeah. Like I was looking on Reddit and it's it is like this sort of like it's we're excited because we're supposed to be excited. But I mean, come on. This is now just business as usual. I don't get excited when companies are just doing things to make sure they stay relevant exactly. in the marketplace. And 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 the, the and the, yeah, that well said. I mean, they're they're acting in their own rational self best interest. It's not like they all of a sudden care about Linux. It's not like they care about the community. They're doing what they need to do to keep their profits high. Mm-hmm. And the second that and the second that the user's uh, individual freedom or the user's you know experience suffers. Uh, it, it won't, ma- one ma- won't make one iota of difference if that interest doesn't align with their profit revenue. I so, agree. I, good well, job, Microsoft. Still good. Okay. I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad the Linux Foundation. They're also doing some renaming and restructuring of their events, sort of consolidating. You know, you and I had recognized that that you go to an event and it's really like four events in one already. It's been like that mm-hmm. for years. Con- <clears throat> ContainerCon, CloudCon, etc., mm-hmm. and LinuxCon. So they're they're going to bring it all under one umbrella now. One good. open source event, I guess. Good, good. I actually think it is a good move because it's all it is all sort of all the same ecosystem. Do we have more open source there? <laughs> I, mean, I just, I, 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 just, I go back to a conversation I had with Ruth, Ruth Seeley, and, and we're 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 sitting in a room and, and we're talking about open source and we're talking about Linux and stuff like this. And I said, you know, I, I said I said I was a little bummed out because a couple weeks ago I was at OSCON and just it's kind of depressing for somebody who's an open source advocate. And she looks at me and goes, "Well, it is OSCON," and I'm like. What does that mean? Like, OSCON, open source conference. Like, shouldn't I be? Why is why is the expectation that there wouldn't be open source? At well, open source? I I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I think <clears throat> there's open source there. It's just also the layer. It's also there's a lot of open source there that has a layer of commercial right uh, all, solutions like, on like top of it. All of it. <laughs> the stuff that you need though is somebody in that industry. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't. I. Mm, yeah, maybe some of it. So I do rely on some of it. That's true. It's not, not a not a. Not an unhealthy right, amount well, for sure. Okay. And if any of those companies went away, I'd be fine. Yeah. Let's take a minute and just really briefly talk about uh, Poison Tap. Yes, yes. Alan went into a lot of detail in TechSnap this week. I mean, a lot of detail. Uh, but this thing is a real son of a gun. The reason why they're calling it a $5 tool is because it just uses the um, the little itsy bitsy Raspberry, Raspberry Pi Zero. Mm-hmm. And so you set it up as this uh, USB device that's running all of these things that pretend to be an input device and a network interface and a router so it can capture your your data uh, as it goes over the network. It can install cookies that are persistent. It can install backdoors that remain even after the device is, is unplugged. And it can capture your keyboard input and output. And it can also grab your Wi-Fi information, all kinds of stuff. And it's running a tiny little embedded Linux. Awesome. Absolutely it is awesome. It is pretty. It is pretty nuts. I need to build. It's one very of these. clever. I need to build one of these. The Poison Tap also searches a locked computer for web browsers running in the background with an open page, and when it finds one, it injects HTML iframe tags into that page to connect to the one million the to the any of the one million top sites by Alexa. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it works as a man in the middle, so it can do. Uh, not only can it do like network grabbing, but it also will act as a little DNS forwarding server, so it mm-hmm. can. Um, it can send you to bogus websites and whatnot. It is a hell of a little hack, and there's so much technology packed into this thing, and it's uh, it's uh, it's the, it's running on top of like a Node.js 
engine that this person built to do all this stuff. Nice. <laughs> that thing is so cool. And they just, call it the password pilfering key logger disguised as a USB charger, a key-sized dongle that Jimmy's open electronic lock cars and garages. Uh, oh, that guy that created that, that opens mm. that up, that thing, he's the one that's making poison tap. I see. So it's you could you could see just I'm just saying I, I'm not trying to like be a scaremonger here, but going back to the new MacBook Pro really quick, where mm-hmm. everything in USB C is dongle based, right? You could see putting something like this in an innocent looking dongle that somebody would not be surprised to see hooked up to a computer like right. that, yep. and it could be stealing all of the things, right? When, when you we are we are moving into a world where big dongly things hanging off your computer is not going to be uncommon. It's already right. not weird to see a USB thumb drive. Yeah. And you could probably get a lot of this tech down to something the size of a thumb drive. But some of these big like Thunderbolt dongles are big bricks. Yeah. They're like big bricks that fit DVI ports and USB ports. Yeah. And so you could easily fit a Pi Zero in there. Yeah. Oh, for sure. The world of dongles, my friend. <laughs> what could go wrong? What could go wrong? Speaking of what could go wrong, ButterFS and its RAID 5.6 issue that just won't quit. Uh, you'll be happy about this, aren't you? We get to say, I told you so. Now, why are you saying that? Because I don't want to see ButterFS right the, suffer. You've been right about this from day one, and people have been questioning you from day one, and then days two through whatever we're on now, you've had to keep coming back and being like, somebody predicted this. <laughs> somebody may have hinted at this. hey Somebody caught a lot of hate for saying this. So if you don't recall, we're talking about this issue that stems from problems discovered months ago with the ButterFS RAID 5.6 code being basically so unsafe that they said, I'm not even making this up. Go use ZFS. <laughs> uh, it was unbelievable. Um, so Pharonix ran a story recently because it was kind of the quote was kind of confusing and so Phronics ran a story recently that said ButterFS RAID 5.6 support is finally fixed, but that's actually not the case. So if you've, if, you've, if you've been seeing other sites reporting that as well, they're wrong. Only one bug has been removed in a key use case that makes this all interesting, and it's only the first of many that remain in, a path, in the path. It's, it was just a separate kind of tangentially related issue that got fixed. Mm-hmm. The core issue remains... Um, they fixed a race condition in scrub recovery code, but not the core issue. And they say also in their investigation, there are multiple bugs in the stress plus remove device case. So if you have a device that is under a lot of load or has had a lot of writes, mm-hmm. even after you think it might be safe to remove a device that's formatted in ButterFS, mm-hmm. it may actually damage it. Okay. So they've also discovered a se- that separate issue while looking into this RAID 5.6 issue. Mm-hmm. That there is an issue sometimes, he says, where multiple bugs in the stress removable device code, which uh, are quite easily to isolate. So it's not like it's a big issue. Plus, they have a difficulty uh, stemming from the bug on instance that we covered in Linux Unplugged a couple of weeks Mm. ago. So until it happens, they say users should be aware that recovery does not work yet at this time. And so now it's just not safe to use ButterFS native RAID 5.6 code in production. Not everybody does, but it's. I think it's something people should be aware of. And so if you saw headlines that the issue was solved, it is not solved. It's still working on it. However, to their credit, they are they are working on it and finding other issues as well. So that's Until good. we get to the point where they have to rewrite the entire code base. By the way, just unrelated, uh, they think they might not have to do that. Oh, oh okay. Well, that's cool. But, okay, that's unrelated, yeah. if you haven't installed the latest version of Anagros in a while, uh, you might check. I don't know. Don't do it on your production system yet. Don't 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 make it your only install. Maybe don't even do it for root. But holy crap, have they fancied up their ZFS ZFS yeah, man. Uh, options? They give of uh, they give. I think the best 
Linux installer. It's better than anything I've ever seen for setting up ZFS. And they uh, and they they have info buttons. Beard was setting up on his new rig, and he was showing me like you could if you have a question about ZFS terminology or how your data will be protected, you can just hit a button. And it explains everything to you. So when you when you click on like RAID Z zero, RAID Z one, or whatever. It pops up with a message that says you have selected RAID Z1, and then it has an explanation of what RAID Z1 is. And if you change that, then there's you know the explanation changes. It's, I mean, it's, it's literally the easiest, most clear implementation yeah. of a ZFS setup at install of a Linux distro I've uh, ever no, seen. If any distro, yeah. I mean, it tops FreeNAS. Oh yeah, as far as easy, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really cool. So if you do want to play around with ZFS and you like Anagros and Tergros, and Tergros. Uh, their latest ISO, I would assume he probably got the dailies. I'm not sure where he got that from because no, because he, he got it on my laptop. So oh really? So yeah. it's it's kind of semi. It's in one of their released ISOs. Mm-hmm. Sweet. So you guys might, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Rikai says the implementation may leave some uh, um, some problems. He says it was sort of broken as hell. So do be advised. It's early days. <laughs> He'll be advised. Like I said, don't use it on a production system. My, myself, XFS all the way, baby. And that, Noah, is all the news for this week. Last week was part one of my review of the QNAP NAS server. Now is the tricky part. I actually have to fit it in a dinette booth, and we're going to show you some of the hardware modifications we had to make to fit a Linux server in my mobile Home. It's an RV that's on wheels. I travel frequently, and I needed something that would be tucked away, out of the way, and something that wouldn't kill my batteries. And we started looking at how much power the QNAP drew, plus a UPS, and we realized we had to make some modifications. Typically, this is stuff we don't actually put in the show. And we've been getting emails that kind of call us out for that. Like, you guys are doing hardware modifications, and you're not including the show. You're just including the software part. And we're or, always like, or they think we don't even do them. We got yeah. so much crap when we did our media player review from saying, well, you guys didn't configure dongles. You guys don't know yeah. how to configure yeah. dongles. We yeah. know how to configure dongles. Stop talking about dongles. I don't want to talk about dongles. You know, and so we thought, okay, well, we will we will show part of a review that normally we kind of leave out because it's not super Linux heavy, but it is absolutely essential to installing this Linux system in this rig. So that's what we're going to show you this week. I'm looking and, forward and to I, it. And I also, I want people, as they go into this, I want them to count the conversions from AC to DC. I want you to count how we don't, start. Don't do that. I, don't I do that. DC, AC, DC, oh, no. AC, DC, oh, AC, Oh, no, I'm DC. sorry. Don't do that. That's rough. Uh, so let me tell you something that's going to help take that pain off, though. Uh, that's our friends at Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to support the show. That way you, they know you heard about it here. And you can sign up for a seven-day free trial. I went over to Linux Unplug Studio. I walked into there, and I said, hey, you. And I hit that guy in the face, the guy with the beard. Oh, and I, this guy. Oh. Wait, what? Oh, my gosh. Hold on. Everyone else. It's here. like Fight Club for Linux Academy. That's incredible. <laughs> so anyways, I stole the Unplug discount, brought it over here, linuxacademy.com slash unplug. That's where you go to learn more about a platform built by Linux enthusiasts to help you learn about Linux. It's not open source and Linux aren't like their buzz terms. They're not like features that they they sort of advertise about while they are tr- teaching you everything from plumbing to After Effects. It's all they do. They got labs where you get hands-on, real experience. They got instructor mentoring, people that can actually help you with these topics. Video courses, self-paced, in-depth guides you can download. Course schedulers when you're busy. Lab servers that spin up on demand. Community members stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting people. And they're constantly updating. They just got new funding. They're expanding their content. And they've just added some great SE Linux stuff, more stuff. And you can go check out Understanding and Using the SE Linux Context. It's one of the new courses, Exploring SE Linux is an overall category they have. And you can learn more about these new announcements when you follow them on Twitter, at LinuxAcademy.com. And 
You can learn more about their new courseware when they release them. If you're already a member, you're constantly getting new stuff and new value. And SE Linux is definitely something I could use some training on. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. So when Noah's in town, we like to get some projects done. And that's exactly what we did with uh, with this is we wanted to get this done. There was a limited time window. I got just back from California and we went right to work. That's Noah, and he's sitting at my dinette. And that's where my new file server is about to be installed. But so you can see what's in here now. We have a cradle point, a search protector, a subwoofer. Behind the subwoofer, or next to the subwoofer, where is it? Is the WeBoost right there, which boosts the cellular signal. So we're gonna clean this up and try to fit the NAS in here. You got more than just an ACL. They put a whole conjunction box in here. I'm thinking maybe I could just take this out completely. Okay. Put the UPS in over here, put the NAS right here. Yep. And then take everything I've plugged into the surge protector, plug those into the UPS. I'm gonna say no bueno to your idea because then if you shut the UPS off, you lose the cradle point and the Wii Boost and mm. else it's in there. There's going to be times... It does have surge-only plugs on the back of it. Yeah, but I'm guessing if you turn that button off, yeah. I bet that shuts okay. everything off. I would probably leave the splitter in. So unplug the sub into this? Yeah. I think that's what I'd do. It'd be, nice, mean, it'd be nice not to have the cradle point reboot, too, though, when the power changes. Yeah, we can put that in, onto the UPS then. Then the cradle point gets turned on. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a one evil or the other, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, yeah. And here's the other thing we can do, too. It would not be impossible if, if for any reason that bothers you, we could always add another, uh, you know, another outlet or another four outlets or whatever. That's a little intense for today, though. Uh, so before we go any further, should we open up the UPS? Let's do it. We're trying to think ahead about the UPS. See, when I switch from battery power to generator or shore power, there's a brief interruption in all of the electronics in that dinette booth, which would nail my NAS, and it wouldn't be very good for data integrity. So the idea is we want to come up with solutions to power off the hardware before I hit a long stretch of the road, but I don't want to have to tear up the dinette every time I want to do that. So we're going to see if we can wire in some clickers for the power button to that UPS there. So that's what Noah's doing right now, is he's looking to see what we can do maybe hardware-wise and wiring-wise to replace the power button with something remote, like a light switch or something like that that I could trigger to shut down the UPS, which would then trigger the shutdown on the NAS. But we don't have any tools. We need to go get tools, Noah. We need a screwdriver. Back of the rental we go. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. We forgot a screwdriver. All right, back to the RV we go. Back to the RV. You got a screwdriver this time? I got a screwdriver. All right, so we have the UPS here. And as you can see on the front of the UPS, there's a button here. And if you, you, I can't really demonstrate it to you, but it is a it's it is it's a toggle switch. So if I, it clicks on and it clicks off, it's not a soft switch. It's actually a hardware switch. So my plan is to open this thing up and see if there aren't two spade connectors connecting this power switch. And disconnect those spade connectors, run the wires outside of the UPS, and then we'll put a switch somewhere on the outside of the dinette for Chris. So Chris's challenge to me was, can I get into this thing without tearing it apart? And look at the back, there's actually a ton of uh, screws in the back. So I haven't looked this up, I haven't researched this, I've never taken one of these apart before. I'm just gonna take a screwdriver, start pulling screws out, and hope that at some point, we wind up inside of the UPS and access to that power switch. So let's get started. Actually, 
You seeing more screws? Not only am I seeing more screws, I'm seeing a screw that Im that seems to imply the whole thing just opens up. Take this bezel off, yeah. Aha! So what do you see on that switch panel there? All right, so first of all, taking the back off was useless. Secondly, uh, we've got a connector here of sorts that has a bunch of these little wires, and I'm guessing this goes to this LCD panel and button possibly. Right, right. But again, this is just a physical button, so I'm going to take this panel off and see what's actually connecting that, that button. What do you think? I think uh, they have sealed up these uh, these uh, connections at the back. I see that. We may have to take this off a little bit um, to get to those uh, to, to get to the solder joints. But oh, actually, comes off actually pretty easily. Now the question is, which one of these is the power? Yeah, which one of these connected not? And uh, we can tell that with a multimeter. So we're gonna have to go to the hardware store to go get a light switch anyway. So we'll probably just pick up a multimeter and we'll be able to figure that out. You think they're gonna have a good price on an Ethernet cable? <laughs> oh, Best Buy. If only you weren't so convenient. Grab the 25 there. Hey, no, you know what? What, Lowe's? Lowe's runs Linux. Wire? Wire. Well, the switch I'm really concerned about. Okay. And I'm wondering, do they even have, do they have wireless? Be can I have a Bluetooth paired to my phone? No, no it's, it's Do they have like a Hughes light switch we can no. get? No, it's, it's, it's gonna be a, a switch. Look at this, I could, why can't I just do one of these? Come on, Noah, look, it's got an app. It's got an app, Noah. Let's go, Chris, let's go. You can pick any kind of switch you want, but it's gotta be a switch. I don't really want a Bluetooth app thingy, I just like bugging Noah. I like that. Does that come? Does that come with? Uh, does it come with beauty? UT not included. What's UT? Butane. Butane, yeah. Yeah, but they got butane right there. Back to Lady Jupes we go now to install the NAS and the UPS. It's a lot of work for this one step, but since it's something I'll be doing frequently, making it easy to turn the UPS on and off so that way when I'm driving it's not drawing from my batteries is actually pretty important to the implementation. All right, we're back in the RV. We still have this thing apart, but now... Oh, all our goodies from Lowe's. We have supplies. So, the first thing that is required, any project working at Jupiter Broadcasting, I adhere to this strictly is to take a couple of these and put them all over. <laughs> Amazing, are you, is this really happening right yeah, now? Yeah, it's really happening. We this is... make sure that we zip tie no. all of this stuff. <laughs> Dude, why are you doing this? We gotta make sure. You're screwing up Lady Juke. No, I just need to make sure that we zip tie a lot of things, that's step one. Oh my God. Save the rest of those for later. I hate you a little the bit next now. Thing we're gonna, next thing we're going to do is we're going to take our multimeter and the... The shoes are making a lot of noise. No, yeah, I know. Use the knife that I don't have, that Chris did provide me with. Wow. And cut into this multimeter. Don't scratch my table, Noah. I'll do my best. All right, there we go. It's hard to get good help these days. 
Got scissors? Yeah, if you got, oh, no, I got it, it's okay. Got scissors? No, it's all right, I got it. Dude, I can't spend a whole battery on you opening up this box. Don't stab yourself. How about I give you yeah. scissors? It's all right. I'm just thinking scissors. How about, I, how about I just open up this drawer? Oh, okay. All right. See, he didn't need scissors. Sheep. Yeah. 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 Okay, good. All right. Like I said, no scissors needed. No. What is it, Noah? Wait, you just, every time you, <laughs> time you give me crap about something. <laughs> okay. We'll just add another one there for, for good measure. All right, so now that we got the uh, multimeter, we can use the multimeter to find out which one of these contacts on this switch are closing the circuit. So a switch is very simple, right? The light switch is either on or off. And this switch is either on or off. And so what we need to know is which one of these metal contacts have current flowing through them when the switch is on and then off. And so we use a function called the continuity. <laughs> no, dude, no. No, dude. No, dude. No, dude. How's the battery situation at uh, Lady Jupes? There is a chance. A chance. Probably this pretty takes good a non volt. Mm -hmm. That good. might be the one battery I have. I know, that's what I'm saying. I, I think there's a chance. Now that we got batteries in the multimeter, what this does is this has a specific mode in it that when I touch these two probes together, Hear that? And so what that's going to do, and I can show you on this light switch. So we know now that these two poles are what the switch is completing. So now the goal is to figure out which one of the poles on the back of this device are being completed when the switch is on. So we are going to solder uh, two little wires to those connectors right there. I, I will take those scissors if you still have them available. All right, well, let me hold this flaming torch in my hand while I try to gently notch it down. So the trick to actually soldering, getting a good solder joint that is gonna last for years and not just break off, is we want the two pieces of metal to actually fuse together. And so the way that you do that is you heat the wire up not the solder. So what we'll do is we'll touch this to, to the contact and we'll touch uh, a little bit of, of solder to it and then we'll actually heat these contacts up until the solder melts. And so the trick here is to get the wire to just kind of naturally sit where you're going to want it to sit. And that'll make it easier. Now this solder is still a little thicker than what I wanted but it was it was way better than the plumbing stuff that the store had. Noah has not had enough caffeine today. I like how you get the shakes when you don't have enough caffeine. Yeah. But that, my friends, is a good solid solder joint. That'll, that'll hold going down the road. Nice. So now what we're gonna do, before we kill the uh, soldering iron, which, by the way, benzomatic butene soldering iron, I approve. I used to be a huge Radio Shack soldering iron guy, and then I switched to Weller when Radio Shack started making crap soldering irons. Uh, 
I need some serious work done with this benzomatic uh, butene soldering iron. I, this is really good. I don't actually miss anything from a from an actual electric soldering iron. And it was great for our situation because we're running off of batteries and right. generator right now, so we didn't really have anything to plug into. So now what we're gonna do is we're gonna turn the multimeter back to the continuity tester, is we're gonna push the button and see if it turns on and off, because if the button on here is closing and opening the circuit on these on, on our wires, then it stands to reason that whatever button I attach to the end of these wires will be able to close a circuit, right? So now, look at that. So it's working. It's working. And then what we'll do is we'll put the UPS back together and uh, leave these wires sticking out. And then after we get the UPS there, then we'll plug the UPS in and test that our light switch actually is able to turn the UPS on and off. All right, so we have everything technically all wired up. But before we get it into its final resting place, I want to take a moment and plug everything in, set everything up exactly the way that Chris is going to want to use it, and make sure it passes the smell test. And so. we're also going to see how much power we're drawing, so before we put the UPS in, we know if it's just going to be too much load for the battery. Right, that's part of your smell test. Oh, okay. There, here's the switch. We have our switch right there. Mm -hmm. For testing purposes, it will not be plugged into this power strip, but for testing purposes, there's our kilowatt screen, which has a polarized glass on it apparently, see that? So we'll watch this kilowatt to see how much draw we get from the UPS as we test stuff. Okay. All right, where do we start now? All right, we're gonna flip the switch on. UPS powers up. Okay, UPS is powered up, and kilowatt is saying right now it's drawing 0.77 watts. It just went down to two watts. I think we're about the, to see, uh, there we go, right. 17, 20. Yep, now it's jumping up. Now what we wanna see is what's the idle draw What's well, just, it's like, you know, t just barely charging draw. Jeez, that's not bad. Mm -hmm. Eight watts is doable, don't you think? Seven. So assuming, so then it would just be that plus the load of the NAS. Right, well, that's gonna go up though. Yeah, I know, but that's not bad. That's not much overhead as long as the batteries are charged up. Yeah. The downside is, is when those are depleted and the house batteries are depleted, how much charge, how much extra work is this thing gonna cause? But let's, I think this is doable. I think this is the way to go. Yeah, and I mean, always worst case scenario, we can always, put another switch in, you know, and it could be even a remote one that cuts power to this entirely. Really the purpose of this, and we didn't really do a good job of explaining this, is the reason we went through all the work to making sure we tie into the actual power button of the UPS is we need to be able to shut the UPS down so that it doesn't alarm anytime it loses AC power. Now that we have the ability to do that though, we could actually cut AC off to the UPS altogether. And there we go. I think that's, uh, installed, right? Now we just do the NAS. Alright, so now we need to figure out what the kilowatt says we're drawing. Kilowatt says... 61 watts. 61 watts? 71. 72. 71. Yeah, of course, as the drive spin-up, it's gonna go up, right? Yeah. Very pretty consistent at about 65 watts. Are all the drives spun up now? I assume it's booting, yeah. All right, so our final, our final total with the NAS attached and the UPS, how many watts? 65. 65 watts. Chums between 60 and 75, so we'll call it 65. Do you think that's gonna be too much? No, I, I think you'll be fine when you're, you know, parked and when you're planning on it. I think that, uh, you know, seven, I mean, to give you an idea, your cell phone is is half a watt. It's 500 milliwatts. You know, that, that, that uh, your NVIDIA player is maybe a watt and a half. So, and this is 75. You know, for one device, I mean, yeah, it's a lot of power. But, 
you know, when you're boondocking, when you have access to power, when you're running the generator, it doesn't really matter. Just the ability to be able to shut it down is going to be critical. So we have a continuous ping going to the uh, for, to the uh, NAS, and then what we've done is we've just killed the generator, and the UPS has successfully filled the gap of providing power to the NAS. Now the, the concern is, though, that the every time the UPS tries to come back online, it detects AC power, tries to bar itself back on, and then realizes there is enough power, and then turns itself back off, and you can kind of hear that clicking back and forth. So it's probably it, draining the batteries of the UPS pretty quick. Right, and we, we, we're starting to think that maybe it's drawing too much power for this to be a successful operation we don't know yeah as far as as far as bridging the gap and shutting down the UPS when I'm running off of batteries this is gonna work but I think for some for a long-term solution what we really need to do is wire the QNAP into the DC power of the RV mm -hmm. and then the whole house is like the UPS yeah right yeah mm -hmm. That's a future project. A future project. As we like to say, that's a problem for future Chris and Noah. All things considered, we're going to call this a successful venture. We have things working to the point that Chris is able to use the NAS inside of his RV when he's parked and when he has to transition to on the road drive. So now, time to take a trip. Make sure everything works the way we think it's going to. There you go. You'd never know. There's 24 terabytes of storage into that dinette. brings us to the end of this week's broadcast, but we're not done yet. In fact, we've got some feedback. We got a video that came into the show, but before we go any further, I want to thank our friends at System76 for making this segment possible, but full stop right here. Before I go any further, yes, they have incredible desktops and servers too, but this week, the big news from System76 is the Oryx just went 4K freaking high DPI. <laughs> Oh, man, this machine. Up to 64 gigabytes of RAM. 4K high DPI, and you can get IPS 1080p if you want. They have 15 and 17-inch options in matte. They got the GTX 10 series GPU. It's aluminum alloy for the case. And I'm, I'm just really impressed with this machine. I think our audience has been, too. And now that it's gone 4K, I'm really kind of curious to hear what uh, System 7... I guess they have did some patching, and they've submitted them upstream. I haven't seen it yet. I think they ought to send us one for review so we can actually see how good it yeah. is. Uh, I bet Gnome will look great on this thing, too. Just, uh, just a note, System76, you really want to take that review seriously because there is a small to medium to relatively large chance that you just won't get it back and buy it from you. Because <laughs> that's what I do with You might make a sale. Is yeah, that what you're exactly. saying? Uh, that does happen sometimes. Yeah, look at that. They say that their 4K uh, high DPI display has 3.1 million more pixels than the MacBook Retina, enabling sharper text, 4K video, and higher resolution gaming. And yeah, with the GTX 10 card in there, that's true. With Ethernet built in, Thunderbolt, look at that right there. Boom! HDMI out. I love that machine. Oh, and it has an SD card slot reader, too. That's that's really nice. Check it out. System76.com. Tell them when, you, when you're checking out that Noah switched you to Linux. Yeah. You might just get a surprise. You will get a surprise. Noah switched you to Linux. Speaking of System76, do you remember who it was that uh, sent us in this video from System76? Ben F. Oh, Ben. Great. Well, let's get a little update from Ben. Hey, Chris and Noah. Hey, Ben. It's ben here, and I'm showing you my System76 lemur running Linux from scratch. Oh, Linux from scratch on the lemur. Kernel 472. As you see, it is the text mode boot. I uh, spent good a man. good three days on this thing. It was very, very educational, but at the same time, very difficult. So I have 
gotten LXDM here. Nice. So press enter. You know, there's sort of like a feeling of accomplishment, though. I mean, I know it can be a big amount of work, but there's sort of a feeling of accomplishment. Sorry for showing that on the camera, though. And as you see, this is currently themed out. Uh, cool, dude. To my liking, it's XFC. Let me get myself on the internet over here. As you see, I do have an applet for the, uh, the network manager. And it's very, very minimal right now. Um, not a whole lot to it. We've got our audio, date and time, the power manager. Whisker menu over here. All this was compiled completely from source. Nothing came with anything. So, uh... Very cool, Ben. Nice work. And I, I like that. I think a lot of that is that you do something like this a, a lot of times to learn about the system itself, right? And you teach yourself using yeah, a learning experience. For sure. That's a big learning experience. That's, I think, a big... <clears throat> one of the best things I did was I did like a, a, a low-level Gentoo install a long time ago, and mm -hmm. I monkeyed around. And at that, at that point in time, you know, they had like... I don't know if how, how it works this way anymore, but they had like three types of installs you could do. Mm -hmm. And the third was sort of the most things that are done. And the first was took forever. I did it once on a PowerPC system and once on an Intel system, and I learned a lot of stuff doing that. So let's, uh, you ready to do some emails? You want to take the first let's one do, that came in from, uh, from Broken Canoe? Yeah, so Broken Canoe writes in, and he wants to ask about data privacy following the presidential election. He says, hi, Chris. This is something I've had a lot of people ask me following Trump's victory. Should I keep my data in the cloud services based in the U.S. now that Trump is president? I think it's a valid question, one worth discussing on last or user error. The general feeling is that the infringements on privacy and civil liberties will only get worse in the coming years. I'm interested to hear your thoughts, more so uh, because I know you use some of these services. So hmm. what uh, what do you what do you think? Um, <clears throat> well, I don't I, you know shoot I don't even think it has to be related to a Trump presidency. I think anytime a government gets some, a power like that, they don't tend to like to give it up. So Regardless I think I think it's is. always going to go in the direction of you want to you want to be thinking about this and taking steps. Mm -hmm. The other thing the other thing just sort of related to that is I don't think you need again uh, any particular circumstance or event to start using encryption as much as possible because the more you normalize the use of encryption, the less it stands out, yeah. either for your own behavior or for the greater internet right. at whole. So I think that's always worth thinking about because it it's it specifically it specifically starts protecting you today and stops it stops some of the metadata leakage, it stops some of that. But for the most part, I think this is something that I've internalized as an ongoing issue where I look at this I look at this now in a new, like when the Snowden leaks first came out, I, I wanted to really make big, big changes. And now I look at it more as I've made, I've made some huge switches and now I'm just, every decision I make, I, I factor in the privacy aspect to it. I make it with, with an, with least open eyes when I, yeah. when I choose to use a third party online service. And sometimes I decide, well, I'm only going to put fake information into this, or I'm not going to put uh, actual data into it. That's part that's private. Like that's something mm -hmm. I never do. So I have I have a, a decision process I go through, but I don't I don't think that any one particular event recently is going to make me want to go all in. I think I'm just moving that direction as much as possible. What about sure. you? I I uh, I kind of follow the same approach, at least if I understand what you're saying, and, and that is that if I'm going to use something like Google Drive or Dropbox or something, I don't really care if I edit a segment and and put that in Dropbox and the government wants to take it. Good, one more view. That's great. I'm glad. I hope you learned something. Um, the point was to publish it anyway. So. Is, do I really care if that goes on Dropbox? Do I really care when we're editing docs if those are up on Google Docs? Then Google has access to the show docs, which again we're going to publish anyway. Yes, yeah, so that care? kind of stuff. That's where that's exactly it. that kind of stuff. I don't I don't care so much. Mm -hmm. The kind of things that I would care more about would be like 
my photos and right. my videos. And that's where I start getting like a lot more specific about the, the services I choose. Yeah. Um, and I think that's how my approach is. And I, I think data privacy is something that is sort of a, I think that's a misnomer. I don't like that term data privacy because I think it implies that it's something you practice from time to time for certain types of data. Right. And I'm just trying to practice safe data computing all the time. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Oh, for sure. It's not data privacy. It's how I, that's how I treat my data to begin with. I don't have private data that I need to put somewhere and keep it safe. Yeah. That data never goes to those places in the first right. place. Yeah. I guess. All right, so Daniel T. writes in with a touchpad issue. He says, in GNOME 320, I think, GNOME switched to use libinput over Synaptic. That depends on your distro, sir. Uh, uh, for the touchpad library, you need to remove x86, uh, xf86 input-synaptic and install xf86 libinput, but you need to remove the config file first. Forgive me, I don't remember what is... Or what? What is his question here? So what he's that's not a question. He, that's yeah, a know, statement. I know. <laughs> what he's what he's writing in is he's he's offering suggestion for my. Remember I said that uh, my touchpad. Oh, wasn't able, oh, and oh, so oh, right oh. now Rakai and I have this script here. I have to run this touchpad.sh every time I reboot my computer, or I can't disable touch to click. Uh, oh. Which isn't necessarily a big problem because I really don't. I restart maybe once. So you've actually found a way to disable your touch to click. Well, this guy actually has the the part I was missing, so I installed. Uh, lib input or whatever, but I didn't remove the synaptic config files. XF86 dash input dash lib input. Right. I done that, but I didn't remove the synaptic config file. So I need to find that. I'm going to remove it and see if that doesn't fix my problem. Uh, but if you've uninstalled synaptic. But read what he says, though. He says you also need to remove the synaptic config file. Mm, okay. All right. I don't know either. I figured it's worth it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you got tapped to click. How is so. Uh, I would have reinstalled the operating system. If how I have. Uh, just a real quick flash update. How's all the Arch stuff gone? 99% is great. I don't. Really? Find, and I noticed, I noticed this on your machine too. You have the same problem. When I wake the computer up from standby or what, sleep or whatever it is. This computer never sleeps. Well, whatever it is. When it goes into lock. It never locks. It never sleeps. <clears throat> so when I go to unlock it. You mean when you've rebooted it and you log in? Yeah, sure. I. I naturally just want to hit the enter key and then type in my password. And I hit the enter key, nothing happens. I know, GDM. I, I know, man. I give you one tip, like know, one real good no, tip, and you don't do it. Get you could have gotten it done while you were here. Do it on your own machine. I, I, don't, I know people watching really like LightDM, yeah. but... It sucks. Well, so anyway, so that's problem yeah, one. Here's, here's problem two, and I actually screenshotted this the other day because I was, it was, kind of, I was, up, I was actually kind of upset about ah, it. Ah, here's what it is, dude. All right. Uh, lib input is compatible with the synaptic configs and will import them. And, and if you have an existing oh. synaptic config, it takes precedence. There you go. That's why. Thanks, Beard. So, so this was a this was a comment that that came up as having a problem. Lightworks wouldn't load, and I, I read this comment in the arch uh, in the arch user you know wiki or whatever, and it says Lightworks is not compatible with the with the newest port audio library. Here is more info, and then basically it links to a post that says that basically Lightworks is releasing you know a release every six months, and they're updating these libraries you know every couple weeks. Yeah, sure. And so it just the, it the works often. Thing. Yeah. Now in this particular case, it was easy because this guy made like this little package that you just double click on, and it like downgrades that particular library, and that works just fine. Uh, but I tell you what, all things considered, I'd still rather fight these problems. Than not have wireless. So right now your problems are you have to start something so tap to click gets disabled. Yeah, I have to run one and script every time I reboot, which is never. And the other problem is it's possible a future update will break Lightworks. Right. But that hasn't happened yet because you have to fix break this it. Time. It did, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what you should do is really. I mean, I'm not just saying this to be funny. You might try KDM Live for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, you know, it's funny. I haven't installed because I was going to use it, and then I fixed Lightworks. So I was like, eh, I'll hold on. The nice thing about KDM Live is it's in every great distro's repo, mm -hmm. and it gets 
updated as just like every great Linux desktop app from your repo right. and does. And it's a true open source application too, yeah. which I like. Yeah. All right, you want to talk about this audio interface real quick? Okay, so uh, a couple of weeks ago, we came on here and we talked about uh, the Scarlet interface here from uh, the, the, it's the Focusrite Scarlet, right? Mm -hmm. And it sure looks really cool. It's a mm -hmm. damn cool looking interface and it's nice and metal. Mm -hmm. uh, but we had the weirdest issue here on this machine in studio. Uh, I, I'll tell you how I experienced it. Maybe you can tell me what was going on. Sure. So I sat in, I sat down today, and I have a, I have a GNOME extension on my uh, GNOME desktop here. That that is a weird background. <laughs> I'm gonna change that background real quick. It's not like anything dirty. It's just really weird. Um, so I have uh, on my GNOME desktop here. I have an extension that when I click on like the logout button, the power button up in the right corner, I can see my audio devices. And so in there, I could see I had the correct audio devices selected. But I go into any application that generates sound, and I could hear nothing. Then my desktop started locking up. So I unplugged and replugged in the Scarlet as troubleshooting, and my desktop unfroze, and then I could play sound for like half a second, mm. and then it would stop. And so we're back on the uh, lexicon, mm -hmm. which I thought was having problems. That's why we switched out to the Scarlet. Because the lexicon, one of the issues I run in with the lexicon is, say I have Spotify open and I'm playing music for the live stream, and then I open up Telegram, mm -hmm. the music gets all distorted. Yeah. And like, everything sounds like it's a robot. And then I have to power cycle the interface. So we were trying to fix that with this bad man pajama. So a couple of years ago, I bought a Scarlet inter or a, a Focusrite interface and had nothing but problems with it under Linux. And ever since then, I was kind of turned off to the Focusrite company. And I bought a PreSonus uh, USB uh, 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 yeah. USB audio and worked flawlessly, 100% of the time. It's what I have in my studio, and I've never had a problem with it. Liked it so much, I bought one for the mobile JB rig. We've used it a number of times, never had a problem with it. Bought another one for Chris to take in his RV. I don't know how many times you've used it, but I've never, never had a problem with yep, it. We did a whole bunch so, of shows with it. So I, I had been recommending people buy these PreSonus USB audio things. And every time I'd recommend it, somebody would write in an email and they would say, well, haven't you heard of the Focusrite Scarlet? It's like the best USB audio interface ever under Linux. And I said, oh, okay. And then Rakai and I got into like a very heated debate about <laughs> about the these uh, these USB interfaces. And he said, well, this is the one that I had looked at. And we actually had a whole discussion on it on user error about how yeah, we he did. had talked about this first. And I said, well, my, intu my, my gut just told me not to go with the Focusrite, but everyone else told me that, you know, it works so great under Linux, so I thought we'd give it a shot. So when Chris told me he was having audio interface problems, I thought, all right, I will tell him what everyone else has told me. I'm going to put my own bias aside and I'm going to tell him to buy the thing that my gut tells me he shouldn't buy anyway. And so and had good reviews on Amazon too. Yeah, I'm sure. But they're probably not Linux users. So this POS arrives and plugs in and immediately starts having well so first I wasn't even entirely convinced that I wanted to put this into production the night before the show and the night before I'm leaving. And I got talked into it. And, I, and he's like, well, just test it. Not if you test me. it. No, I know. Test it. If you test it enough, then it'll be fine. I'm like, all right. So we plug it in and it just immediately starts having problems. Can't, can't, it locked up the sound control panel, couldn't get anything to work. I'm like, I'm going to go back to it. And he goes, and so, well, maybe we'll try a different USB port. So we tried a different USB port. And long story short, we did a bunch of troubleshooting. We tried it. It did end up working for a long period of time. Yeah, you watch like videos and stuff. I did. I watched like four YouTube videos. But at the end of the day, my gut told me, you've had problems with Focusrite before. Focusrite is a crappy company that makes crappy interfaces and doesn't give an S about Linux. And so you should stay away from them and go back to PreSonus, which makes amazing audio interfaces. And they always work under Linux. And even their big, huge, fancy digital, like, $1,500 mixer, I plugged it in my Linux box and boom, all 15 channels show right up in my Linux control panel. Just... I can't say enough good things about PreSonus. So, Mr. Chris Fisher. Yes, sir. You have a 
PreSonus USB audio interface on the way that will be delivered on oh, Tuesday for my, for my piss poor recommendation for something that I knew I shouldn't have taken a chance on to begin with. You know, with. It's, it's funny. I'm like, well, so now we're just back to the lexicon. No, I'm I know. like, I just that's wanted, kind of a bummer. You're like, don't worry. There's a silver lining. I'll tell yeah, you on exactly. the show. <laughs> I just wanted to say it's show content. That is want, show good. But like, good instincts. But literally, but literally last night I was like, here's what's going to happen. This is going to break. It may not break today. It may not break tomorrow. It may not break the next day. But someday... Very soon, it's just going to stop working. And then he's going to be mad and say, well, you suggested this to me. And I don't even have an answer to that because I did, in fact, suggest it to him. I just knew it was a bad idea when I suggested it. Well, so, you know, we only learn by putting stuff in production. Yeah. Legitimately, like, we yeah. both know that. Well, like, so, any of you people that are using Scarlet uh, uh, USB interfaces under Linux, if you got it to work. Focus, right? Yeah, fo whatever. If you got it to work, then you're almost as good as my 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 beloved PreSonus, yeah. yeah. except you don't have as great. Yeah, I agree. Cybernix as well. At least at the end of the day, Noah owns up. Yeah, he owns up. So I'm, I'll, I'm looking forward to. I really yeah. like Presonus too. Yeah, it's just they so. make great stuff, and it'll just it'll work for you 100 percent of the time, and it'll never break. And yeah. well, there you go. Well, no, it was great to have you in studio for this week's episode. Yeah, thanks of for the show. Me. I hope your uh, travels back go safe. Uh, I don't think anything changes. I know next week's Thanksgiving, but I don't think that changes because it's early enough in the week. I don't think yeah. it'll affect the show. So we will be back at our regular time on Sundays. It's noon Pacific, but you can get it converted to your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. You can submit content and news stories and your thoughts and comments about those news stories. And guess what? The comment thread at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. That guy right there, he's at Colonel Linux. I am whoop, boop, 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 at Chris L-A-S. Oh, oh, we should do a, we were going to do a live check in to see if I hit the 100 subscriber Let's do it. count. Uh, are you uh, are you ready, Noah? What do you think? Do you think we hit? And now coming to you. Zoom, 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 zoom. Let's see. Checking in now on the, because then I can do it. I can set a custom URL. And survey says, I bet we're at like, uh, oh, we're at 123. We're at 123. So we, there we go. I'll be able to set the, uh, thank you, Charum. Thank you, Charum. I'll be able to amazing. set a custom URL. And then on my personal channel, we'll have those videos for Meet BSD and the trip and all of that, plus some behind the scenes shenanigans with this guy while he was out here. All of that will be published up on the channel over uh, the next week. Okay, everybody, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, and we'll see you right back here next week. You know what I have been discovering recently is... Mice in the walls. No. Oh. Uh, That's good. I, I, was, I was trolling you. It's going to be in the video that we're going to play today. I was trolling you at no. Lowe's. You? And I'm so watching me? back, and I'm like, I can't actually quite tell if I'm serious or not. Like, at the time in oh, my really? head, it's an obvious joke. But then I'm watching it back, I'm like... Somebody watching this could think I'm being serious right oh, well, now. Well, if it's anything to you, I didn't take you seriously. No, I know, because you know me well enough now. You know me, you know. Wow, that part of it. And, the other and you know, I get a, there's Wait. a certain tone I get well, when I'm trolling. Well, and here's the other thing, too. The other, <laughs> the other part of it is, I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> like, if I'm being perfectly honest, like, we had a job to get done. It doesn't really matter if you, if you really want oomph or not. Uh. Oh, sorry about the brief interruption. Glad we could get it back in time for me to belch on the, on the, on the stream. <laughs> How many farts away are we from being live? Probably one or two. That's how Chris measures showtime. Some studios have clocks that say, you know, showtime or, you know, studio time. Chris has farts. Damn right. Chris has farts. Did I tell you Beard got me into a, uh, like a Star Trek ripoff program? What's that? Dark Matter. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, I wouldn't actually say it's anything like Star Trek, but it's a fun, uh, it's a fun uh, sci-fi. There are people, yes. They're on a spaceship, yes. It takes place in the future. Here's yes. here, here's what's not going to happen. Before we start the Linux Action Show, you are not about to compare one one of the greatest <laughs> oh. contributions to American oh. pop culture in the last 50 years to uh, some Canadian flyby. <laughs>
poorly written well, sci-fi Canadian. series. That's why I can't. I didn't recognize any of the actors or actresses. You can, with this is not. I mean, I enjoy watching it. Yeah. I've I've watched a little bit of it, yeah. and I I've enjoyed it in a way where I like I like how I enjoy watching like puppies wrestle. Oh, it's it's adorable. It's cute. Yeah. It's not Star Trek. <laughs> no Star Trek. So I want to get the coke out of the shot for God's sake. So I want to get the coke out of the shot, you class master. For God's sake. <laughs> Doing what they got to do to get us uh, to get a Linux box installed, kind of a thing. That's my, that's my, that's my Chris laugh. Ha! 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 Ha <laughs> See, because I'm not going ha, because that's a lot of energy, right? I'm going ha. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you're very no, because like, there's a there's a there. You need to get the connotation in there. The the <laughs> that's stupid. That's what I'm really. <laughs> that's a stupid idea. What do you got? A video of it? You got a video of it? <laughs> that's something else. That's. <laughs> what is this? Oh, that's to the music. You can't blame me. Yeah. That's me randomly talking to the chat room. <laughs> that's what it sounds like if you're in the studio and I'm having a conversation with the chat room. And you're, you're out in the thing. All of a sudden, you just hear these loud noises. Yeah, yeah. yeah and of course, I'm talking over the music, so.